All right, good morning. We are back in the book of Exodus, uh, chapters 22 and 23. You're going to need your Bible. This morning we're going to take a you know, a broad sweeping look at something that we all, you know, that all of us see or witness on a daily basis. It's, and it's actually so constant before our ears that it becomes the white noise of the world at times. You know, we see it in politics constantly as the, as the cry from the left and, and even the right. It beckons people into causes and even wars. It sounds uh, a little bit like uh, this. These are a couple of excerpts. Uh, this one from the New York Times. Demonstrators flooded the National Mall on Friday morning in anticipation of a historic moment for the anti-abortion moment. For the first sitting president to address the annual March of Life in person, uh, President Trump did not disappoint them. Unborn children have never had a stronger defender in the White House, he told the crowd of religious school groups and anti-abortion activists who packed them all to hear him speak. Or this one's from uh, the U.S. News and Reuters. Uh, this U.S. Supreme Court gave the go-ahead on Monday for one of President Donald Trump's hardline immigration policies, allowing his administration to implement a rule denying legal permanent residency to a certain uh, to certain immigrants deemed likely to require government assistance in the future. Now, obviously, I'm not preaching on these things, or, but here's the thing is, these are just a few social articles re- revealing the great injustices that are happening all around us. Um, things like abortion and, and marriage and immigration, health care, women's rights, veteran suicide, and, 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 you know, the list can go on forever. Uh, they are all, are all social injustices that are happening right now. The news and the social media, they're just littered with them. Uh, people have rallied together in groups to help us prevent or support whatever their cause is. We see social injustices every day, and we all have an opinion on them. The question, however, is what should our response be as a Christian? How would Jesus respond to these things? I mean, do you have an answer that is rooted in biblical truth? Because if not, you should. Because God is a God of justice, and he definitely cares about these things. Isaiah 30, 18 in the NIV reveals that The Lord is a God of justice. So out of God's own mouth, a little further down in Isaiah 61 and 8, it reads, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. Through the prophet Amos, God's a bit bolder here in his own passion for justice. In Amos 5, 24, God declares, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. You know, and we could go on and on because the Bible makes it clear that the character of God reveals his deep desire for justice and righteousness. This is the reason for reading the Mosaic Law that is found in our current study uh, of uh, Exodus 22 and 23, as well as the entire book of Leviticus. So one of my all-time favorite scriptures is found in Jeremiah twenty-two sixteen, where it reads, He pled the cause of the afflicted and needy, then it was well. Is not, is not that what it means to know me, declares the Lord. And this implies that those who long for justice, long for righteous living, have a kindred spirit 
with the character of God. Again, we see that we are made in his image. The desire to wrong the right does not come from us, but from the one who made us. So where does this begin? Well, you know, it it begins in the garden. You know the story. While Adam and Eve were in the garden, the serpent came to Eve, tricking her into eating the fruit of knowledge. She ate it and then gave it to her husband, and he ate it too. Everything changed in that moment. And it's an interesting moment, too, because even though God holds Adam and Eve accountable for their actions and allows sin to come into the world, he also punishes the serpent, the devil, for the injustice done through deception. Genesis 3.15 records the first prophetic word and judgment towards this injustice done to the human race. God says, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. So from this point forward, we're going to see in the character of God a strong desire for justice. And he imposes, or maybe rather imprints that onto us. In Exodus 22 and 23, there is a great deal of time spent dealing with the injustices that might occur among the people. And I want you to turn there, but we're not going to read it all. There's just too much there. However, I am going to run through and give you a basic rundown of some of the hot topics that are found in these two chapters on social injustice. In Exodus chapter 1, God deals with our conduct concerning how we treat people who work for us, compensation and and equality. In Exodus 22, God deals with property rights, with stealing and compensation, with murder and consequences, with adultery and marriage, with witchcraft and idolatry, with, with lending and banking, with immigration reform and the taking care of orphans. God deals with con men and those who try and and swindle the less fortunate or ignorant. He deals with leadership and even tithing. Uh, If you read into Exodus 23, God hammers, I mean hammers on gossiping and rumor spreading. Check this out uh, in Exodus 23 verse 2 at the first line. Excuse me. You must not follow the crowd in wrongdoing. How many times have we heard the excuse, well, everyone else is doing it, right? So, so God makes it clear he wants you to think for yourself. He goes on to talk about how to treat your enemies, how to be fair to all peoples, to not use your position in your demographic to take advantage of others in a lower demographic. He deals with bribes and observing the Sabbath and even helping the poor. I told you there's, there is a lot there. I mean, a lot. And so, the, you know, God is thinking about all these things and more. There is no social justice warrior greater than God. He's been advocating for justice since the world began. He's been pro-life since the world began. He's been pro-marriage since the beginning of time. You get the idea. His pursuit on these things has imprinted upon us as his creation. The Bible, I believe, makes this clear, too. Psalms 106 tells us that those who commit to justice are blessed. Proverbs 21 and 28 remind us that only the truly saved can understand what is right, and they will delight when justice is done. And maybe the one that really you know, hits more closer to home is in Hosea 12, where it's, uh, the prophet reminds those who are specifically returning right, that you must maintain love and justice and wait for your God always. And what are we waiting on? Psalm 27 reveals justice will be done when judgment comes. <clears throat> this would be frightening if not for the cross of Christ. 
Romans 5, 12 through 19, it says, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time to Adam to the time of Moses. Even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did, Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we're guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. I'm, I'm just going to stop right there, and let's let's just pray before we go any farther. Father, I, I'm, I give this to you. This is your word this morning, God. This is what you want your people to hear. So, Father, I pray that you use this word to the, to the growing of your kingdom and to the, 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 the making known of your glory, God, in Jesus' name. So, wow. What a revelation of, uh, you know, justice. Instead of receiving justice for all the terrible wrongs we've committed through the grace of God, we are treated as if we've never sinned. Now, this is wonderful news because in Christ, we also see the cost of sin and a bit of what judgment looks like. The cross is God's altar and Christ is his sacrifice to atone for the sins of many. It was painful and humiliating and shameful and frightening to the believer. It's a reminder of the cost of freedom and the sacrifice of Jesus, an innocent man paying for all the sins of men. To the unbeliever, it should be a sign of fear for judgment still coming. Why? Because God will have justice. And as the Message Bible likes to say, oceans of it. Owen Strayan, a writer for the Gospel Coalition, put it this way, Sin will not cease because of a vague trajectory in the cosmos towards goodness. The end of sin will come because Jesus will split the sky and make the whole earth his threshing floor. And he's quoting Revelations 20, 11 through 21. This truth should be, inspire you know, surging hope in the church. It should also drive us to evangelize all we can, remembering that the blunt force of Christian doctrine of judgment has often awakened the slumbering. We, we don't want any sinner to taste the wrath of God. Got to be honest, guys. I love this view. I love the idea that by seeing social injustices, we are also seeing the depravity of man or the sinfulness of man. And in seeing such atrocities and by seeing such injustices, we're reminded that judgment is approaching and that Jesus is our only hope of any real change. And we're never, we will never win the fight of, of morality through you know, human intellect, but only through the grace of God, through Jesus Christ. We will not win people to righteous living unless we're able to live righteous before them. God commanded us not to follow after the crowd. And in other places, he calls us to be set apart. If we look like the world and behave like the world, why would the world ever change? They've got no reason to. We must first answer the injustices done 
around us before we can take on a bigger problem. There are always going to be injustices as long as men and women refuse to believe in Jesus. We cannot concern ourselves with the impossible tasks of changing everyone in the world. We must first concern ourselves with changing those to whom God has placed us around. And as we're faithful with that, then God will give us more, right? I love this quote from the the Gospel Coalition as well. It says, Christianity is a forward-looking faith. The celestial city, as John Bunyan reminded us, is not far off. There is a momentum, a driving urgency in the kingdom. We can't ever forget what God is doing. We're history is going and how short the time is. You could say it this way. We should be so eternity-minded that we are of some earthly good. And, you know, this is a short message today. But in a world full of injustice, let me just give you a last word of, of wisdom. Let us be slow to speak and slow to anger. There are many situations being brought to light before all the facts are in. These days, the world, and maybe it's just just the media, seem to be on reaction mode. The facts aren't as important as being the first one to talk about it, make it known, or fight for it. Uh, Let's just make sure we're fighting for the right things, you know? We can be right and still be wrong. Do you know what I mean? I mean, we can be right in what we're saying and even our thought process, but how we tell others and convey that message in trying to win them to Christ or or even Christian principles, it's important. You can be right and still be a jerk. Be married, and that'll teach you that. You, if you're married, you know that. That's, that'll teach you fast. How we discuss issues are important. These days, it's easy to be a keyboard warrior, but the Internet, Facebook, or any other social media platform will never replace a good old-fashioned face-to-face relationship. <clears throat> it's amazing what a civil conversation can do for you know, changing a person's mindset. Also, there really is no better place to bring up the gospel than with social injustice because in seeing social injustice, what we're really seeing is sin. And if sin exists and the human race is lost in it, then what hope is there, right? This is the doorway to the gospel, the doorway to grace, and the doorway to the abundant life. And church, this is my message. This is the whole thing, what it's about. It's time that we lead others in this direction. Amen. Let's let's pray.